Welcome to Women, Conscription and War, a podcast series focused on the actions, motivations and experiences of Melbourne women in the anti-Vietnam War and anti-conscription protests between 1965 and 1972. In case you haven't listened to the introduction to this project and where I give some history of the Vietnam War and conscription in Australia, a few things to keep in mind. First, this is in no way an attack on Vietnam veterans. I am the daughter of one myself. This is filling a gap, not opposing or challenging. Second, I don't necessarily agree with everything my interviewees say, so don't get angry at me for reporting their views. Third, I don't always give the name of the person who's speaking when I use excerpts from interviews. They're always credited on the website, which you'll find at womenconscriptionwar.com. You'll also find complete footnotes for the other work that I've used. Lastly, please note that I have edited these interviews for use in the podcast, for clarity, and to really hone in on the relevant ideas. The one that does make me laugh is the LBJ one. When we gathered up in Grattan Street, in Swanson Street, and there were thousands there, not all uni students. Monash Uni had sent these buses of their students down, but there were a lot of older people and other people, you know, obviously we were there. So we're standing there waiting and waiting and waiting, and then I can't remember if a policeman told us or someone else. And I was there with a couple of girlfriends, actually. One who was in the commerce faculty met for me, and another young lady whose name was um, Nola, who was an art student who was about that high. I've never said boo to a goose in her in our whole life. And this cop, I think a cop told us, I'm not sure. Anyway, the news came through that they'd changed the route, and it was coming the other way because there were any too, too many protests. Well, this little Nola, she turned on the cop who was sitting on the horse next to him, gave him the serve of his life. This is quite a short episode, but I felt it was important to include because several women in my interviews mentioned it as important to the way they thought about the issues of the time, particularly about the way Australia was acting in the 1960s in terms of our connection to the United States. This episode features five women who were born between 1937 and 1950, Judy, Kelly, Cheryl, Carol and Fiona. In 1966, when these events occurred, Carol was 29, while Fiona was 16. The other three women were around 18 years old. In October 1966, President Lyndon B. Johnson, probably better known as LBJ, came to visit Australia for the very first official visit of an American president to our country. He arrived in the country on the 20th of October and came to Melbourne for a flying visit on the 21st. Back in July of 1966, the Australian Prime Minister, Harold Holt, had used the American Democratic Party's slogan, All the Way with LBJ, when visiting the White House, in what was, according to an article of a National Archives website, quote, an impromptu addition to the text of his remarks on the White House lawn. As may be guessed, Holt's attitude, 
and then the visit of LBJ provoked quite a lot of reaction from those opposed to the Vietnam War and what was seen by some as American imperialism in Vietnam. The motorcade from the airport into the city happened to go the Melbourne University campus, as these first two women recall. Did you get involved in any of the um, marches from Melbourne University? I did once, I think, yeah. Was it the LBJ one? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, all the way with LBJ, forget it. (laughs) I just remember huge hordes of people and and the car going, um, a, a big black shiny thing, I think, <laughs> and going pretty far, well, as fast as it possibly could, dangerously fast, I suspect. So that was, uh, you know, pretty amazing. There were kids clambering up on the gates and I think there was a fence. I don't know. I remember, I remember yep. a fence, but um, uh, it was out on Grattan Street. So it was a big open space behind us. I mean, it was the the great big garden or something. So, I mean, it was perfect for um, people to gather. But um, uh, he went. And then and I can remember, you know, Harold Holt saying all the way with LBJ, which we just thought was outrageous. It was just such a cringeworthy statement. Um, worthy on its own for a protest, but uh, <laughs> let alone what, what was going on. Here. And there was some people being outrageous but good on them Uh, with the protests against president johnson what was what was your attitude towards johnson being in australia why were you demonstrating well because he was representing um all that that uh in in our minds that he was symbolic of of our my country's um, sycophancy, if you like, uh, towards um, the United States, the, the, the willingness of of this country to uh, to follow the the lead of the U.S. and uh, and go into wars where, uh, well, I felt we had no business to be, and yeah, I don't know that uh, I felt any particular animosity towards. President Johnson as a person, but but yes, as a symbol, certainly. A week after LBJ's visit, so the 28th of October, a woman named Janet Tribe had a letter to the editor of The Age newspaper published. She had been involved in demonstrating against LBJ's visit, and her letter is primarily concerned with the negative attitude towards the very idea of protest that was apparently prevalent in Melbourne and Australia at this point. She argues that such an attitude against protest is, quote, in complete contradiction to one of the principles of democracy, that anyone has the right to voice opinions. She notes that the protests were necessary to show that President Johnson could not claim that all of Australia supported the US policy in Vietnam. I must have been in year 10. And a few of us went in on the train from Eltham High into... with the blessing of the school. Um, in our uniforms. <laughs> To protest, and you know, lots, there were lots of kids 
there. So it's a bit like the climate action movement among among um, students now, in a way. I think it tapped into that similar uh, idealism and anger about the future as mm. well as what's going on now. So, um, yeah, Chris Sanders came in with me. That's right, we were on the train and we went in. And the police, the security guys were really brutal. They really were. I suppose because they had... They, they, I suppose they had American detail there as well. They were just laying into people. And I met up with my mother there and uh, I just was hysterical with, you know, it was so frightening. And I remember saying to Sarah, don't you hit them, don't you, you know, leave them alone. It was really confronting. So that probably reinforced anger and among, you know, many people and also sort of that anti-police anti-authoritarian, anti, anti-government feeling at the time. Mm. Cons- would have yeah, consolidated people's views, yeah. There are a lot of reports about police violence at the LBJ demonstrations. Let me start with the Age newspaper. On the 22nd of October, the Age reported that there was a near riot along St Kilda Road in the, near the heart of the city, as the motorcade sped along. There's a claim that, quote, several women kicked the legs of the police horses. The article also states that jeering catcalls broke out as a group of women from the Save Our Sons movement gathered opposite, that is, opposite government house. Uh, it's unclear from the article just who is doing the catcalling. Also at Government House, there was a report that a girl was pulled across the road by her hair and thrust under a barrier by a policeman because she was pleading with police not to put her boyfriend in a riot wagon. Presumably because they felt that the mainstream media was not representing the truth of what happened, 12 people, including two women, put out a substantial pamphlet called Facts About the LBJ Demonstration. This pamphlet claims to have been produced, quote, completely independently by a group of adult individuals concerned at the flagrant disregard for law and order shown by the police, local and Commonwealth, in their treatment of those who wished to demonstrate their dissension. It seems to have had some connection to Monash University, although at least one of the people involved in compiling it was not at Monash because it was Michael Hamill Green who attended Melbourne University. The statements compiled in this pamphlet speak to the violence witnessed and the fact that women were involved in the protests and also in the violence. For instance, in her statement, Barbara Higgins, one of the authors, notes that she saw a man thrown to the ground by police another man photographing the incident, who was then himself punched, and, quote, two girls who tried to drag the security men off that man on the ground were flung to the ground themselves. Additionally, quote, a young woman, terrified by what she had just seen, ran onto the roadway screaming, leave him alone. A large, thick-set man seized her by the hair and proceeded to drag her back to the barrier, hitting her about the head. Higgins reports that she herself had her poster taken away and was threatened by a police officer, as did another woman named Helen. 
In his section, Michael Hamill Green described, quote, a young woman sitting on the ground just behind the barricade, dazed and crying, with her head turned into the breast of another young woman who had her arms around her. Several people were taunting the police for hurting the woman. Someone else in the pamphlet reported seeing a middle-aged woman being dragged along between two policemen in uniform. The newspapers did report some of this violence, as I've already mentioned. A few days later, on October the 26th, again in The Age, a subheading claims that, quote, a young woman had grabbed a policeman by the hair and then another had held him by the coat during the scuffle near Government House last Friday. In the article, these women were claimed to be the fiancé and the wife of the two men who are actually the focus of the article, Robert Hopkins and Desmond Files, both of whom, the men, were charged with offensive behaviour and resisting arrest at the demonstration. The men denied the actions claimed against their partners. In another newspaper, further police violence was claimed and Miss Peggy Summers gave a statement alleging pretty serious police violence. I'm actually not sure which newspaper that was in because it was from a clipping from the Ralph and Dorothy Gibson archive box at Melbourne University, but I suspect it's from the, the Guardian, which was a communist newspaper. You'll hear more about Peggy Summers and her actions in the episode about a variety of other ways that women were involved in protesting. October 1966 is very early in the piece in terms of protesting against the Vietnam War. While some of the protest action discussed here may have been more generally anti-American, the Vietnam War connection was definitely significant given the connection between America, Australia and that war. From this very early point onwards, women are involved in the protest movement. Thanks for listening to this episode of Women, Conscription and War. If you enjoyed it, maybe you could tell someone else about it or leave a review somewhere to help other people find it. My immense thanks to all the people I spoke to for this episode. You can find a complete list of them on my website, womenconscriptionwar.com, as well as a bibliography and some relevant images. My thanks also to Sarah Tomasetti, who gave permission to use her mother Glenn Tomasetti's music in this project. It's a moment from her song, The Ballad of William White, that you hear between sections throughout this podcast. <laughs>